0: Oh, there we go. So, um, yeah, you're gonna have to lower me, Nate, and I speak a little bit differently. And then I was saying, as you as you, you become, you get the Moses uh, complex because people start parting when you walk by. <clears throat> What's uh, also uh, kind of humorous is I think this is probably almost to the Sunday, if not a week, is the third year that I gave my last sermon here as, uh, your, as the uh, pastor of uh, Stated Supply before this when Nate before Nate took the pulpit. So uh, um, it's, uh, now I'm your pastor that you're not going to get rid of. Uh, <laughs> I'm no longer the substitute teacher that I was, uh, who uh, was going to be here for a little while. What we're going to read today is uh, a unique passage from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. I ask you to follow along with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for your, your grace as is the focus not only of this message, not only the focus of this Sunday, but the focus of our moment-by-moment life. We are thankful that we understand grace more than we've ever understood it before. Because we are now in Christ, we understand what a gift we've been given when we understand who we really are. It is a difficult mirror to look into when we find out who we really are. But you do not leave us there when you open up your word to us and show us who we really are in our heart, in our mind, in our actions, and how the standard that we've been living by does not cut it with you. And so we are thankful that you are by, you are aside, next to us and alongside of us when we come to that revelation of who we are, but you also offer us another hope, another way, another new beginning. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for giving us the opportunity to confess our sins to be purified from all unrighteousness. And Lord, it is not only done once, it is done on a moment by moment, day by day. Experience with you, but we no longer have to, nor should we, Lord, identify ourselves as sinners, but even though we are, we are followers of Christ, and we are Christians. And we come to you now because you have given us the access through your Son, that we do not deserve, nor can we earn, and you've given that to us. And uh, we, we, we pray, Father, and realize that uh, something that will be stuck within us, not only for this moment, but for all of our lives, will carry us into eternity, is that you cannot love us any more than you love us right now because of us being in Christ, because of us coming under his love, under his death, under his life, his completed work, we claim as being our own, Lord God, and we thank you for that. We are the recipients of that. Even though it is not ours, you have given us this gift as if it was. And we thank you for that, and we pray that we are stewards of, of carrying that name. We misuse the name of you, dear Lord, when we carry it and misuse it by living any way we want to and doing whatever we want to do. So Lord, I pray that again we we are gripped by and taken away from the things of this world and shown a new city, shown a new life, shown what it is to be under a new king and a new ruler. We thank you for giving us even the ability to pray that kind of prayer because of what you've done for us, Jesus. And we thank you, and we pray that you'll be with us now as I speak and as we all listen. We pray this in your name. Amen. Chapter 6, 2 Samuel, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits on, enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there before of his, because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Which means God's breaking out against Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Why did I pick this passage Usually you don't come across this kind of passage uh, about this kind of action of a God who we look toward for mercy and grace kind of fits everybody else's interpretation of an angry Old Testament God. And the reasons that I picked this were a couple, and one is that... uh, at First Press, I was teaching uh, First Kings and then the book of Hebrews. Uh, and then while I was reading that, and, and in fact, I just want to read a passage from it just to, that kind of got me and started me thinking about this passage. It was, and uh, in, in, uh, you don't have to go there, I'll just read it to you. It's First Kings chapter 8 is when Solomon had finished uh, after a long, protected period of time, had finished the temple. And it was the time for the Ark of the Covenant to come in. And it's when, the, uh, when he talked about the Ark coming in, he says, And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, which is reminiscent of what took place in the book of Exodus, when the Ark of the Covenant went in for the first time in the tabernacle. So that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. It was, it was such an occasion. It was such an immense experience for them that they could do nothing because God just took over the whole time, took over the whole moment. He was the center of attention. So then I started thinking about that, and then I started thinking about it as we were looking at the book of Hebrews, and uh, our, my friends here today are from First Press. Uh, they've, been, they've been through my, all of my classes at First Press and have heard this message already uh, when I, I, I spoke it at uh, First Press. Um, and then also the other reason is because we've, this past year and late last year, we lost two significant people into the world of of uh, Christianity and that's uh, Billy Graham and RC Sproul and of course Billy Graham was the uh, was really the person that the Lord used for Susie and I to really make that commitment at one of his crusades but RC Sproul was the first one that I really started listening to and really heard reformed theology and when he in his study on the holiness of God he he talks about this passage, and it always struck me of when he talked about Uzzah and how God struck him dead, and, and um, I don't know if you've ever figured it out, I don't know if you've ever come to grips with it, I don't know if you've ever, you know, understood what, that's, what why it happened and what it all meant, or maybe you still have some unanswered questions of what's going on with God uh, R.C. Sproul used to, used to say, Is God being, he used, you know, he used these words that sometimes would cause you to think, is God being capricious? Is God being uh, uh, cavalier? Is God just doing what he wants to do and has no reason for it? He's just, you know, as we see the TV commercials, uh, with uh, God flowing with the white hair and the white gown playing tennis across somebody, and, he beats, and the guy beats him in tennis, and the, guy stri- and the God in the commercial strikes this guy? I mean, is it that kind of God that people think about when they think of God of the Bible? So God is not a God of being capricious. He is certainly, he is certainly not cavalier. What we're going to see here is that it is really us who are capricious, We are the ones who are cavalier when it comes to our understanding of who God is. Now, I'm not saying it happens all the time, but it happens to us in our life. When we just act the way we want to, we act in a way that really doesn't make any sense. We just respond because we desire to respond. And I know I'm like that, and I know you're like that. So... There's not too many messages that you hear about the Ark of the Covenant unless you're studying the Old Testament and um, I thought it would be interesting to kind of go over that as well this morning and that, and that's really what we're looking at in 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 um in second Samuel and how did we get to this place? how is this- what's the context of this passage? Why is David gathering with all of of uh, the chosen men of Israel, and why do they need to bring the Co- Ark of the Covenant back in? And you, you can go back and read First Samuel chapter three, four, five, six. Chapter seven is where we get our Ebenezer from. We just, uh, we just, the stone of my help. Uh, that's where we we get that from. Um, <clears throat> but you remember that. That uh, Eli had two difficult sons, Hophni and Phineas. And uh, do you remember when uh, the Israelites were fighting the Philistines? And uh, do you remember that they lost the first battle, and they f- realized that you know what? We need to take out our lucky charm. We need to take out. We need to, We need. To, we need to take out all the guns. We need to take every, We need to take out the Ark of the Covenant. Now. If you, if you go on and read in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, you realize that, that Eli didn't seem like he was on board with this because he was pacing when he was waiting for the news of coming back, of what was going on with the war, because he knew that his son kind of overstepped their boundary of, of kind of using something sacred for something secular, and that, that they were just really not doing what the Lord had intended the Ark of the Covenant to be. I know that, and I've mentioned it here, when, I've mentioned before of my Roman Catholic background and how I used to have a, a little capsule in my pocket of the infant Jesus, and I carried it around with me all the time. And when I got in trouble, I'd grab my hand in my pocket. Or when I was shooting foul shots in basketball games, I'd make the sign of the cross. Or when I found myself having a difficult time, I'd grab onto the rosary beads and and, and it's, not, it's not picking on Roman Catholicism. We as Protestants have our own superstitions as well. And, um, and we, would u- we use the sacred things sometimes to, for our own devices. And uh, this is what Hophni and Phineas did. And what happened, you know the rest of the story. The Philistines saw this coming. They went, oh my goodness, they've got a god on their side. And they... But they said, we've got to fight. And so God was not pleased with the Israelites and certainly not pleased with those two boys. And uh, they lost the battle. And what happens? The Philistines take, take the, um, the Ark of the Covenant to a, to a, uh, a, a kind of a humorous journey. Uh, first, they, they, take, they take the Ark of the Covenant to uh, to Ashdod and they put him next they put it next to uh, their god Dagon. And then and then you realize oh you know what happens they come back and Dagon's on his face on the floor. And they go, oh wait a minute, what's going on here? So we don't we we don't really like this. So then what do they move? They move him then to Ekron. You know what what happens to what happens to the the Ark of the Covenant—it becomes a hot potato. I don't want it; it's too hot for me. Who wants it next? So then we see this kind of power encounter. Really, uh, we have people talking about spiritual power encounters. This is a real to-do power encounter. We see another time when Dagon' heads fall off, and and they're just you know they're they're just thinking that, wait a minute, this this is not good. This God is not just a God. Just, just takes care of these people, he's a God that just, when he's away from them, he's, he's a God that just covers a lot more territory than we think. And so they end up realizing that, you know, think they start getting outbreaks and they don't really like it and it's going from one thing to another. Then finally, they said, we've got to get rid of this. We've got to get rid of this thing because we've got to figure out if this is, if, if this is the God of Israel and and if you read this story, it talks about how even, even the history of Israel was well known by the by the world around because it says even the the it talks about the Egyptians and talks about even the disobedience of the Israelites and, and they, they, said, they said they we better we better do something about this. So let's do this. Let's let's take two cows, cows, milking cows, and build a brand new cart. And we'll put the cart on the cows, and we'll put the ark of the covenant on, the co- on this on this, ark, on this cart, and we'll see where these cows go. Now, if the now cows, they're not trained to pull anything, and if they're left for themselves, they're going to be looking for their some place to eat, or if they've had calves. They're going to go someplace where they can find their calves. They're not going to go to a specific place and just automatically start pulling the cart. So they, so they said, if it goes to, this, to the, goes to the place called Beth Shemesh, which is a, 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 a Jewish Israelite town, if it goes there, they said, then we know that the God who's been inflicting us is the God of Israel. The God of the uni- We understand that. But if not, then it was just a coincidence. So, as soon as they do this, where do the cows go? Because God's in control. He takes the Ark of the Covenant on the cart right to Beth Shemesh. And so they said, no, man, this, is, this, is, this was not a coincidence. This was, this was from God. So, then from Beth Shemesh, it ends up. Ultimately, as it says here in our passage, it ends up from uh, the brought out of the house of Abinadab, and it had been there for 20 years. Now you think about the Ark of the Covenant, and we think about this being there for 20 years. So you say, it's been there 20 years, what's the big deal? I mean why is everybody in a hoopla why is everybody so happy why is david so concerned about this why is everybody we read about how excited they were and, so what does the ark of the covenant stand for so we turn to exodus 25 and you can turn there if you want because we're going to read just about what that what the ark of the covenant was it's only a little box i mean if you if you look at you know if you get your if you get your bible knowledge from the raiders of the lost ark Or from the Ten Commandments, you're you're not going to be the smartest tack. The the sharpest tack, excuse me. And we see here in Exodus 25, he says here, uh, verse 10, They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits, uh, a half shall be at its length, a cubit half of its breadth, and a cubit and a half of its height. Which we're looking at like maybe a three and a half by a two and a half box. So we're looking at a little box, nothing huge here. And then it says you're then you're supposed to overlay it with gold inside and out. You shall overlay it, and you shall make it as on a molding of gold around it, and you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put it put them on. It's four feet, two rings on each side, two rings on the other. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. And the poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark of the testimony that I shall give you. And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. One and and one and two on the ends of each of the mercy seat. One cherubim on one end, one on the other end. One of peace of of one piece with the mercy seat. Shall you make the cherubim on its two ends? So it's supposed to be molded all into one piece with a lid and these two uh, cherubim. And the cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing. The mercy seat with their wings, their faces, one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Now, this is the identity of Israel, the presence of God. And notice what God says, this is where I will meet you. This is where I will speak with you. This is how important the Ark of the Covenant was. Yet it was gone for 20 years in Abinadab's house. And this is an important. It's the ark of the uh, of the covenant was so important, because as it says here, what's the low hanging fruit? As you can pick from this ver- chapter and chapter two of of uh, second Sam- chapter six of se- second Samuel, you see that it says here, and David rose in verse two and went with all the people, and they said to bring up there from the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned now enthroned means something when you I don't sit enthroned in anything now maybe they may say I sit in my lazy boy and that's my throne and you know I'm enthroned but enthroned means that someone is a king is sovereign is a ruler so we see that God is is being symbolized as this is his this is his throne this is a place where God dwells. He is the sovereign ruler of all, of everything, of all, of all creation. And this is where he sits. And this is where he speaks. This is an important artifact. This is an important piece of the history and the identity of who Israel is. Turn with me to Psalm 99. <clears throat> Notice how in Psalm 99 the Lord God is holy the Lord reigns let the people tremble He sits enthroned upon the cherubim Let the earthquake the Lord is great in Zion He is exalted over all the peoples Let them praise your great and awesome name Holy is he the king in his might loves justice you might you have established equity, you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool. Now to have a footstool, you have to have a throne. And we see that, again, they understood that this between the cherubim meant the Ark of the Covenant. And the cherubim, where were they there? And, you, and you've seen... Renditions and pictures of it the wings going up like this and their heads down like this and the cherubim were these creatures To protect the sacred things of God This is what Adam and Eve were supposed to do in the garden But they failed So when they were thrown out Of the Garden of Eden what happened? God put cherubim with swords guarding the entrance way into Eden because they now were chosen by God to protect the sacred things. So he comes down, and he is, he is, it is told by us that he is sitting there. Now, people who really understood this, knowing that this was not a sacred object in itself, meaning that that was God, they did not worship the Ark of the Covenant, but to them it was a symbol of something. It was, the, it was like, it's like a, I mean, when I was studying for this, I realized that they, they were using terms as, as a sacrament. It had a sacramental value to it. Because, you know, when we, we were blessed with a baptism and communion last week, right? It seems like 100 years ago. Two weeks ago? Last week? Whatever. And sacraments, and what were, what were we talking about? What did pastor say? We talk about the sacraments being a sign and a seal. And, and what the Ark of the Covenant is, is, was really serving the purpose as a sign pointing to the very presence of God. And then also a seal of God's promising. It was, it was, it was sealed by God that this is who he is. This is his promise that he was going to speak to them. Now, you realize this is an incomprehensible God. This is an inaccessible God. This is a transcendent God. And God in his mercy is giving Israel the ability to have access, to feel the imminence of God or the closeness of God, and the ability to understand the incomprehensible God. God is making himself known to them by the Ark of the Covenant. So we see that he's enthroned, so we learn that he's a king. But we also learn some other things, which was helpful by many other uh, commentaries and scholars, is that what are the, some of the other attributes, point, uh, kind of, I think, uh, important attributes, is that we, as we've read the, the mercy seat, or the lid of the covenant, and it was called the Atonement cover. And in fact, the word in Hebrew could be coming from the word kippur, which means atonement, day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And it's a mercy seat. And what took place on the day of atonement? The very center of the book of Leviticus is chapter 16. And it is the, 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 the sacrifice and the whole day of atonement. And it was was the sacrifice was taking place. We see that the when the... the um, the goat was, was uh, the, the sins of, of Israel were put upon the goat and cast away from the people, and then there was a goat killed and his blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat. And what does that, what, what was so good about Yom Kippur? What is so good about the mercy seat? It was there when the, the, the sacrificial uh, victim, someone who had to give their life for transgression, it, wasn't, it really didn't do it, but it symbolized, it pointed to the fact that someone had to die for sin and breaking the law. And so what God does is give them the symbol and the visual, uh, the optics of being able to see that, that, that someone's life had to be given for the sin of his people. And so the, on the mercy seat, the blood was sprinkled upon it. So we see this, this mercy of God, or if you want to do the tricky kind of things that some pastors like doing of all ours, we can start with ruling, <laughs> and we can start, then we can go to reconciliation. But we see how important this is. Here's, this is important. These people are understanding the very character and nature of God. He is a king. Now he's merciful, but he's a just God. He's a holy God. And then the, 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 the last one here is that there's the contents of what's in the Ark of the Covenant. And if you go through the Old Testament, if you go to chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, it says what was inside the bud, the bud of Aaron, the, uh, the, uh, the budded staff of Aaron, the, the manna, and then also the Ten Commandments, the, the tablets. And what does the tablets give us? The tablets are again God revealing himself another R. God revealing himself to us. God wants himself to be known. He wants he makes himself known to us. He doesn't have to, he desires to do that. So God is a God who is ruling, God is a God who's reconciling, this is a God who wants to reveal himself. He reveals himself in his very character by saying, this is who I am. I am holy. I am approachable on my own terms. But I want you to be able to approach me. So this ark is the means that I am giving you to be able to come to know who I am. And as a result of knowing who I am, you know who you are, And how are you to respond to that? How do you react to that? If we live as if we've been redeemed, how do we do that? Are we to be holy as God is holy? And the answer is yes, the Bible reveals that to us. So this is so important for Israel, yet for 20 years it was sitting in some dude's house. And in fact, we learn in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 that for the entire reign of Saul, Saul did nothing. Did nothing with the Ark of the Covenant. Now you realize that the Ark of the Covenant for 369 years was in Shiloh. Imagine that. This thing, 369 years, was in Shiloh. And then it was Hophni and Phinehas played games, and ended up being bounced like a hot potato and ends up in Abinadab's house not far from Jerusalem. Now David is looking at this and thinking about this and realizing, doesn't this make sense? Shouldn't we do this? This is how important the Ark of the Covenant is. This is why everybody's so excited about this. So we see that David's excited and he gets all these people and he rose and he went with all the people were with him, and they and they uh, and they carried the ark of and, and, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio and the sons of Abinadab were driving the cart. Now, some people believe that Uzzah and Ahio were Kohathites. Now, Kohathites were the only ones that were in charge of the sacred things in the temple the sacred things in the temple. So that means they were given certain restrictions and certain criteria and certain procedures. Others were given other things to do. But the Kohathites had their own uh, job description to do this. Some people think that Uzza, that's why he was involved in the moving of this. So God's got to be happy about this, Right? Don't you think God must be like, wow, they're finally doing this. This is great. I've been hidden away, not really, but I've been hidden away for 20 years in this guy's house, and finally somebody wants to do something with me. So, notice the description, and they carry the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out. And they put it, and, and, and they were driving the cart. With the ark of God, they went before the ark. And verse 5, and David and all the house of Israel were making merry. Why? Because they were just doing their thing. They were doing exactly what they thought God wanted them to do. They thought that God should be happy. They thought that God has to be pleased. He has to be pleased with us. So we're happy because we know God's happy with songs, and they were just having a concert and having a grand old time. And then when they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand because the Ark of the Covenant, the cart was falling. It hit a bump, something happened, it's only nine or ten miles between Abinadab's home and Jerusalem. This is not a long path. So they were only eight or nine miles, they're on this path, and This cart just seems to hit a bump in the road, and Uzzah, doing what he thought he was doing, was pleasing to God and did not want God to fall on the ground, puts out his hands and grabs it. And what happens? God becomes a party pooper. He stops the festivities. He gets everybody's attention. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down because of his error. Now, R.C. Sproul says something funny that really, I remember, he said, what was Uzzah waiting for from heaven? Thank you, Uzzah. He was waiting for a thank you. And as one commentator says, Uzzah got nuked. (laughs) He was expecting blessing. He was expecting thanks. He was expecting praise. And Uzzah dies. And so what is David's response to all this? Of course, everybody, you realize that this just pulled the plug on the party. There was just no happiness left after this. And what is David's response? David is angry. He's angry. He's angry with God. He's angry on that day, but he's also angry about something that others have kind of indicated, and I've always thought when I read this. He says, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? 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 Is, it, is this all about you, David? Is this some reflection upon you? Is, is this to make you big guy in town? Is this supposed to confirm who you are as king? Is, what, to you? What is this all about, you? Now, have you ever gotten angry at God? I have. I've shaken my fist at God, trying to be reverent all the time doing it. But I've been angry at God. Like God, I've gotten in a car and screamed like what the heck is going on? Where are you? What is happening? Why do you, why why are you? Why did you do this? We're only trying to do what you want us to do. And then David becomes afraid and he says I'm not going to take this ark any longer. I'm just, they give it to the, we're, we're going to put it in the house of Edom, who some people think was a Jew as well. A Gittite. Some think he was a Levite. There for three months. Now, what can, what's your response? I know what my response sometimes is, is that sometimes, you know, when God just disappoints you, you just kind of go like this, right? And Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, nah, I'll be someplace else. Do I want to talk to anybody? Nah. Do I want people to feel sorry? Nah. Do I want people to give me an encouragement? Oh, I'm praying for you. God is with you. I'll, you know, nah, I don't want any of that stuff. Do you? No. You just want to, you just want to sit in that discomfort and that anger at God. And that's what David does. But David forgets who God is. That's what happens. We forget who God is. It's it's no surprise that for all the years under Saul, they never inquired anything about who God was. They never inquired anything about having anything going on about the Ark of the Covenant. 20 years it's sitting at Abinadab's place. This is what happens when we find ourselves drifting away from the ordinary means that God gives us. The preaching of the word of God, the fellowship of God, the sacraments. This is is what happens to us when we find ourselves drifting away from the very bride of Christ, the church when we find ourselves putting our distance between god and ourselves we don't hurt god even though god is grieved by that we're hurting ourselves so david needed the space so what does god do god blesses Edom. he hears wait a minute god isn't a tyrant god isn't ugly god's not mean he's He's not wrathful. Look at him; he's 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 blessing them. But what what was what was David ignorant about? David says they put him in it. They they put this in a new cart, right? Well, you and I know if we just read Exodus that you shouldn't have put the ark in a on a cart anyway, new or not new. Who cares? You it belonged to be carried. The Kohathites were never given oxen because they were never to carry they were never to pull anything. They were always to carry it. That's why there were poles and the rings in the Ark of the Covenant to be carried. They, were, they think they were worshiping God, and we have lots of people who go to lots of churches who tell people that they can worship God any way they want to, or we can just, there's no decorum. They're just, let's do what we want to do. Let's have a jamboree. Let's have sounds. Let's all be excited because, God, you've got to be thankful that I'm here. Look at all these people out here. Everybody's excited. Listen, everybody. They're all swaying and they're all involved in the music and they're caught up in the moment. Isn't this what pleases you, God? No, it doesn't. And so what does God do? God wakes everybody up and brings attention and says, wait a minute. You're focusing on yourselves. You need to look at me. You need to look at me. And this is what happened to Israel. They all turned inward. Even David seems to give the indication that he's turning inward. This is about me. Same thing happened to Noah. I mean, not Noah, Moses, right? In Numbers, I'm just going to strike the rock. No, you weren't supposed to strike the rock, you're supposed to speak to the rock. Oh well, no, no, Moses. Because you didn't. Sorry, you don't go to the chosen land. This seemed kind of harsh. I always felt bad for Moses when that happened. What a bum deal! I always felt sorry for him. He's taking care of herding these cats for how many years? Herding all these people around, listening to their excuses. And what happens? Because he makes one mistake. But his mistake, he was expected to understand this. Uzzah was expected to understand this. David, the king of Israel, was was supposed to know what was going on. David was worshiping God as he thought he understood God. And God has a way of getting our attention. He does it to Ananias and Sapphira, does he not? In the book of Acts. No, I'm not saying that Uzzah was damned to hell. I'm not saying he lost his salvation. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that God got his attention. The same thing with Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know. But he gets their attention. He wants to wake people up and he says, I'm holy. I'm completely different than anything else you've ever had in your life. You need to understand who I am. But boy, I want I'm transcendent. I'm inaccessible. I'm incomprehensible, but I want you to know me. I want you to come near me. I want you to understand me. And you know what we have which is so much better? On the other side. Remember I've told you this before that And we look at, you know, the the Old Testament saints looked at redemptive history from a telescope. But we in the New Testament look at it in a microscope on this side of the cross. We can see things that they never saw. They had no chance of seeing, but they believed. That's why the hall of faith of, of the book of Hebrews is so important. These people didn't get what they received, but they longed for it. And we're told of what we're to get, and we see, we understand what the resurrection is all about. We understand, as, as pastor is going to be talking through this whole passion time of Christ's suffering and dying and the resurrection, that's all important. That's, that gives us something to hold on to, to say God is a God who promises. So in the Ark of the Covenant... Do you think you see something that's been fulfilled in Jesus? How about being enthroned? Is not Jesus the king? How about reconciliation? Has Jesus taken care of our sin? How about the revelation of understanding who God is, revealing who God is? Don't you think Jesus is the ultimate revelation? Turn with me to... Chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Did you not hear the word of being enthroned? Did you not hear the word of of reconciliation, the purification of sins? Did you not see the king, the prophet, and the priest that is all wrapped up in the very nature of God, that is all symbolized in the very Ark of the Covenant, is all revealed and completely done in Christ? That's what we look to. That's what we look at. That's where our hope is. That's where we come to understand who God really is because it says here that he has spoken perfectly and revealed completely everything about who he is in his son to us. So everything that is embodied in the ark that was the identity of the people of Israel is all in Christ for us, the people of God, the new Israel. Not that we replace Israel, we're just a completion of, or the fulfillment of, true Israel. And that's where understanding who God is changes how we live our lives, and how we face things in our lives. It's not perfect. I'm completely imperfect. But this is the community, and you've heard me say this, this is the place we belong. We belong in the the body of the beloved, with the people of God, in the community of faith because this is where we find these things that keep our faith going. The ordinary means of grace. That's why the Reformed tradition, the Presbyterians that we are, we, we we find this so dear to our hearts that we don't want to sacrifice it. In fact, we want to protect everything that we can because they're so vital to our faith. So what we go back to, and what happens is David then realizes that he's been wrong about who God is. And if we go back to chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles, David says... We messed up. We are the ones who are in error. We are the ones who did not do what God wanted us to do. That's why he struck us down. And then he goes on and he says, all of a sudden, in back in 2 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant remained there and David was, King David was told that the house was blessed. So David went and brought the Ark of the Covenant the way that he was supposed to to the city of David with rejoicing, and they went and they just worshiped God with joy, with freedom, with complete understanding of what God expected from them. So we, aren't, we don't see a picture of a God who's cavalier and capricious. We see a God who's graceful, who's merciful, who desires to be known, who desires to be with us. Jesus died for us in the state that we're in, with our sinful hearts changing who we are, giving us a whole new life. That's what makes us different than what David was going through, is that we have even greater cause to not be capricious or cavalier in our faith, but to work hard at it, to understand who God is. Because, folks, Pastor Nate and I will tell you the same things. Do you realize that the more we study and the more we teach, our paradigms that we are so, so confident in start cracking from time to time because we think we know there is everything about God and we know we, we understand that that's not the case? but we think we've got God down and we comprehended him and all of a sudden we learn something new and it just makes God bigger as jb phillips translation says your god is too small don't be don't be confined don't be squeezed into the box of this world he says in the book of romans but but don't, don't look at God and be so small. Realize that God is incomprehensible, but he desires to be known by you, and that's why he sent Jesus. And in closing, turn with me just how different David's mindset is now in chapter 24 of the book of Psalms. Many believe that this now is probably a result from this experience with, David, with, uh, with uh, Uzzah. Psalm 24, "'The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, "'and the world and those who dwell therein. "'For he has founded it upon the seas "'and established it upon the rivers. "'Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, "'and who shall stand in his holy place?' He who has clean hands and pure heart, he who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. For the people who hunger and people who have an appetite for God, these are the people that God are going to bless. Lift up your hands, O gates! Talking about bringing in this Ark of the Covenant into this newly taken city. Now David had taken over the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites, and this is not only a this is a national experience, but also a a, a spiritual experience. Because don't forget, this was a theocratic; it was a it was a a religious nation a religious state which is no longer exists because of the completion of Christ because of the coming of Christ now this ark goes into this and it says lift up your heads o gates and be lifted up o ancient doors that the king of glory may come in who is this king of glory the lord strong and mighty the lord mighty in battle lift up your heads o gates lift up them lift them up o ancient doors let the king so that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And if we understood, if we understood this, we would realize as we, looked at the, as we looked at the movie of the Raiders of the Lost Ark, we realized that none of this would ever take place. Because if the Ark of the Covenant ever existed, it, there would be no need for it. Because Jesus is the embodiment of it all there is nothing sacred about that box anymore because it was a sign and a symbol pointing to the one whom we have a relationship with so that would be a good evangelistic tool to talk about would it not to use the raiders of the lost Ark, and the ending of that and talk about that sometime and say oh i've got a perspective that you may have not thought of. But I pray that today was a time that maybe you've, you've maybe never understood what was going on here or understood why God was so hard on Uzzah, and why God reacted that he did and, and, and David got mad and David had a right to be mad. and I'm just hoping that maybe this un- you understand that, but I'm hoping you realize that the Old Testament, and I'm understanding you're learning this in your Sunday school class, is that the Old Testament is pointing us to all about Jesus. Understanding the Bible, understanding the Old Testament helps us connect all the dots when we see the New Testament. We see the New Testament just being able to, we look at this and we see the story of a story that has one page after another. Not just pieces of stories, not just segments of time, but a redemptive progressive revelation of god of his redemptive story to us and his hero is jesus from genesis to revelation that's that's what we're here to help you see because we realize that that changes everything about the bible for us and we hope that that changes everything about jesus for you so let's pray we thank you father for your kindness to us we thank you for the mercy that we, we, we sense when we come to hear the basic story of the gospel. I pray, Father, for those of, who are here today that don't know who you are. I pray that, that this would be a, a story that would raise some thoughts, maybe complete some ideas, maybe even raise more questions. I pray, Father, that that they do not linger long with them, but that they seek help to find answers to what's going on in their hearts. And it's not anything I've done or anything that's happened here today other than the work of the Spirit working through our service today and through the the reading and teaching of your word. But for those of us, Lord, who understand you and know you, I, I pray that we rejoice in understanding more about your word because we've seen the picture of Christ again in the Old Testament and we see how <clears throat> blessed we are to be recipients of that mystery that mysterious gospel that we've been given we thank you father that it is simple in fact though we may not understand it all but we understand that someone loved us enough to give his life for us so that we may have peace with God. So Father, I pray that you would bless our time together and that you would guide us to a life that is responsive to grace, that we respond in a way that is one of obedience and one of joy and rejoicing of knowing that we are right with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.